0: Amen. Is this on? Hello, hello. How's it going, guys? I'm super stoked to be able to have this opportunity. Thankful to Paul and Sage for allowing me to be able to do this, um, to be able to just, as we're going through 1 Peter in our C groups, and on Sunday nights, to be able to um, hopefully faithfully preach the Word. Um, but before we do that, um, let's just pray before we dive into God's Word. Our Lord, thank you for your Word. Thank you for the lessons that we've already seen and learned in 1 Peter. Uh, I pray that we would just be attentive to what you are saying in your word, that anything I say that does not glorify you would just come back void and that we would just forget it. Um, Lord, I pray that you would be glorified, um, nothing of my own doing or anyone else, Lord, but that our ministry would just be focused on you and furthering you and your kingdom. In your name I pray, amen. Alrighty. Um, so I came into college and I wanted to be an education major. I wanted to teach in school and um, I go to NC State. I'm a senior. I'm graduating in May. My major is now religion. Um, If you want to know more about that, you can talk to me after. Um, But in one of my classes, we actually went to a magnet middle school, which was just down the road from NC State. And um, we just sat in on the classroom and just watched the teacher teach. I think it was math or something. but as I was in that classroom with a bunch of other peers, I saw how um, just disrespectful some of these students were, just saying no to the teacher um, just, or bad-mouthing the teacher. And I was like, I just thought to myself, you know, that was never me. How could they be so disrespectful? I was never that way. Um, but that's just not true. Um, <laughs> I, I think in kindergarten at one point, I punched a kid in the face. Um, my mom can probably attest to that. But. So that just shows you my own arrogance, but the truth of it was I was just like them when I was younger. We all were. Um, I was disobedient, I was selfish, I was prideful, I was a stubborn sheep. Um, So turn with me to 1 Peter 5, and we're gonna be in verses 1 through 5 tonight. And it says this. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, overseen not under compulsion, but willingly, according to God, and not for dishonest gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over to those allotted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So here, um, just some background again, and just remembering where we are in in the book of 1 Peter. The beloved apostle Peter is instructing here in this chapter, elders, pastors, and shepherds. And these are the elders that are responsible for the churches in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, I think, um, which are mentioned in chapter one of verse one. And this was written, obviously, to numerous elders, who had the responsibility for the large portions of the churches that were in this part of the world. So let's look at verse 1. He says, therefore. And so if you've ever heard the statement, you know, when you always see a therefore, it's what? It's there for a reason. Yeah, great. (laughs) So he's saying, he's saying since. So he's continuing the thought from chapter 4. And so if you look at chapter 4 in verse 19, he, he says, therefore. Those also who suffer according to the will of God must entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing good. So he's continuing that thought from chapter four. Um, he talks about um, suffering, sharing in the sufferings of Christ as we talked about last week. And then he continues to talk about suffering according to the will of God that we can entrust our souls because he knows what he's doing. He's, he's guiding us as we suffer for his name's sake. So he's continuing that thought of the suffering and saying, because of this, since then, he says, I exhort the elders among you. Exhorting or meaning to encourage. He doesn't say, I command. I feel like we should take that. We should look at that. He says exhort. He's saying it out of love. And he's saying, he then says, as your fellow elder. They are all of the same. He's, he's showing his fellowship with them. The idea of an elder, actually, though, it came with the church life from Jewish culture. The word elder simply speaks of the maturity and wisdom that an older person should have, making them qualified for leadership. But in its application, it's more about wisdom and maturity than a specific age. And if we want to look at the biblical qualifications for an elder, it's in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, and talks about to being the husband of one wife and to bringing up his children faithfully and many more other things. But he says, as your fellow elder, He can relate to them, and he knows what they're going through. He knows their lives, and he's with them through this, through this suffering. Peter doesn't call himself an apostle here to establish his authority, but he actually identifies with them. He comes on the basis of his experience. Charles Spurgeon said, "'It will always be our wisdom, dear friends, "'to put ourselves as much as we can "'into the position of those whom we address.'" It is a pity for anyone ever to seem to preach down to people. It is always better to be as nearly as possible on the same level as they are. So Peter here is establishing his fellowship, that he can relate to them, but he also wants to establish his authority as well. He says here, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ. And so what he's saying has, he's showing that what he's saying has some authority. He's saying, I'm a representative of representative of Jesus i saw him suffer i was an eyewitness to seeing him suffering to to all that he went through and then he says a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed this here is talking about the transfiguration that peter john and james were a part of this is mentioned in john 17 And it's referring to that and where Jesus went up to the mount with them and there the Lord pulled back the veil of his flesh. Sorry, that's actually Matthew 17, not John 17. But Peter here is essentially saying, when I talk about the coming of Christ, this is not something that I made up. He saw it. He was an eyewitness to it. He literally saw the preview of the coming glory and he's telling them, I speak to you as one of you, a fellow elder and one as one above as as an apostle who saw the witness, who witnessed the sufferings of Christ, and I saw the future glory that's to be revealed. But then what does he tell them? In verse 2, he tells them, Shepherd the flock of God. First he gives the exhortation in verse 1, and then he continues to give his authorization, and now he gives the identification. So as we look at these coming verses. Two through, two through five, Peter will give us two responsibilities for two different groups of people: shepherds and sheep. Those are the two groups of people. The first group that Peter refers to is the shepherd, and this is found in verses two through four. The phrase "to shepherd" or "pastor" comes from the word "poimen," um, and so pastoral ministry can come from shepherding. This word as a model. And so what is the responsibility of the shepherd? The responsibility of the shepherd is to feed the flock, or shepherd the flock, it says right here. To tend the flock, to furnish pasture for food, to lead the sheep into the pasture, but also to protect the the flock from predators. It spiritually means to supply the essential needs to the soul. You see, we as sheep, we all have great interests, or great needs, sorry, and we need to be taken care of. In John 21:15 through 17, I'm going to flip there real quick. You do not have to. If you would like to, you can. He says, and this is, he says, so then when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon John, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. So Peter is being asked here by Jesus if he loves him. After the resurrection and after Peter's denial of Christ three times. Just think of how impactful this was for Peter. And now here, he's speaking from his experience and he's, saying, he's giving this call to these elders. Have you ever, maybe somebody in your life, maybe that's younger than you, maybe a sibling or maybe just someone younger, a friend, and they're going through something that maybe you went through before and you want them to learn from your mistakes of maybe something that you should have done better and you're giving them advice and so you don't want them to follow your bad example. You want to push them on towards something that you wish you did. And so Peter is giving this call to elders and pastors of to shepherd the flock of God. And this is for pastors. This is for elders. But these principles can be applied to shepherding people in our own lives as we're not all going to be pastors. It's applicable to people in your life that maybe you pour into, maybe you disciple, maybe you have younger siblings, younger friends, or even friends might not even be younger than you. And this is something that we ought to do. But this is also important for us because as sheep we are to look for a faithful shepherd that takes care of their flock. We shouldn't entrust our souls to a prideful shepherd or one acting out of greed for money, any sort of that stuff. So here in verses 2 through 4, Peter gives three exhortations to the shepherds to feed their flock. The first one is willingly oversee. We see this in the first part of verse 2. He says, overseeing not under compulsion, but willingly according to God. In Hebrews 13:17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account, so that they will do this with joy and not with groaning, for this would be unprofitable for you. Peter says to exercise oversight, and this means basically to have a scope over, to look after, to care for. They are responsible for what is going on. He wants them to get the big picture. He wants them to understand the threats, the opportunities, the strengths, and the weaknesses. He says, overseeing, not under compulsion. So he doesn't want them to do it just because they might feel forced to. I think of a long time ago when I was younger and in high school, my dad would ask us to rake the leaves, and that was not at all. (laughs) What I wanted to do It was the last thing that I wanted to do. Um, And obviously I didn't want to do it, so it was like I felt forced to do it but I should have wanted to do it to help my dad out, to help him out of love, and I didn't. So that's what he's saying here. He's saying these shepherds, they are to to oversee, not because they feel forced to, but out of love, willingly, according to God, according to God's will. It must come from love and the will of God. And it's not about building oneself up, but it is centered upon the internal Holy Spirit given motivation to do nothing but shepherd the flock of God. This should be the drive of one's heart if they are to be a faithful shepherd. The second exhortation that he gives in these verses is eagerly love. He says, and not for dishonest gain, but with eagerness. This, could, this is dishonest gain, or it could also mean filthy lucre, and he doesn't want him to do so out of dishonest gain, and this gain was dishonest because it was their motive for serving as shepherds. It could be a shepherd who is in the ministry for gain, money, improvement. He's saying here, they should be out of the ministry. They should not be in the ministry. He says, but with eager, eagerness, or this could mean a ready mind. Our minds must be ready. The shepherds should have a warm heartedness in their ministry to others. They should have a ready mind Be ready to ultimately serve the Lord. They ought to serve eagerly and zealously, willing to serve even apart from financial compensation. The most important tool to shepherd the flock of God is a heart like the heart of Jesus, one that is willing to give one's own life for the sheep and genuinely love them, as we sing about in the song Shepherd. The third exhortation that he gives is in verse 3, and it's set a humble example. It says here, nor yet as lording it over to those allotted to you, but being examples to the flock. He wants them to lead by example, to lead by identification. That's what Peter did for these elders, and he's calling them to do the same for their people. He's also saying to mingle with the sheep, he wants them to do life with them so that they, they can be an example to them. You can't just have your shepherd be on in the, in the pulpit and nothing else, and that's all you see of their life. He wants them to be immersed. The power of example is, in the end, what leadership is all about. The world looks at pastors, and when the pastor falls into sin, the world laughs. And the world is looking at pastors, and they must set an example. And if the shepherd or pastor cannot keep himself straight, how can the flock, how can he expect the flock to keep themselves straight? When the church is experiencing persecution, when the church is experiencing attack, when the church is experiencing deception, it becomes the toughest of times that demand the best shepherds. At a time when the true sheep are under massive attack, so many shepherds are irresponsible, have lost their vigilance, and have given up their duty. And so here Peter comes to remind these elders to shepherd the flock of God. Our church is blessed with men like Pastor Davey, Paul, Sage, who preached two weeks ago. And they love us, and we ought to be grateful for them and love the people of the ministry that lead us. And they love us more than they love the ministry. I can speak to that firsthand whenever I'm talking with, with um, Paul and Sage and um, just hearing their heart for you guys and for all of us. Because it's not about them. It's not about their own game. The shepherd is to lead and serve by being an example, not a dictator. Unfortunately, there are tons of churches out there that are being led by non-shepherds that are deceiving their sheep, leading them to eat weeds, thirsting for still waters. The sheep will flee away very quickly when they are oppressed by a shepherd who is oppressive and is beating them up. The shepherd cannot lead as lords because the sheep do not belong to them. The shepherd of a local church is the under-shepherd, and there is a chief shepherd. Let's look at verse 4. It says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. The chief shepherd, the over shepherd. We just sang about it. For the Lord, my shepherd, he leads me, he leads me, and he is all I need. It's a great truth. Jesus, the chief shepherd, the Lord who leads us beside still waters and makes us lie down as green pastures, as we read in the call to worship in Psalm 23. But the Lord Jesus is a shepherd in the past, present, and future. Psalm 22 talks about how, in the past, the Lord Jesus is the good shepherd who is crucified for his sheep. And that can be related to John 10. Psalm 23 is about the present, which we read in the call to worship, that he is the great shepherd who cares for his sheep. And Psalm 24 is about the future, that he is the coming chief shepherd coming for his sheep. And we see that here in verse number 4. And these under-shepherds will answer to the chief shepherd because he'll want to know what they did with his sheep, his flock. He's the shepherd. The under-shepherd merely leads Jesus' sheep. Here in verse 4, it doesn't say if the chief shepherd appears. It says when. It's going to happen, and we need to be ready for that. He's going to appear for all who are born again at the rapture, when believers will be taken in the clouds to meet the Lord. He says, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Well, what's that? The unfading crown of glory is given to these men, and it's metaphorically the eternal blessing that will be given as a prize to these genuine servants of God. Obviously, if they are following the things mentioned in verses 2 and 3. It is the reward of righteousness. But we see throughout scripture that there are actually m- many different crowns that are mentioned. In Second Timothy 4.8, it talks about the crown of righteousness. And in 1 Corinthians 9.25, it talks about the crown that is incorruptible. In First Thessalonians 2.19, it talks about the crown of rejoicing. And in James 1.12, it talks about the crown of life. But this particular crown here is for faithful shepherds and it does not fade away, it says, unfading. It is a flower because it never fades or withers, and when plucked off, revives even if moistened with water, a famous preacher said. It is seen as a symbol of immortality. You can take a normal flower, and it's beautiful for a time, but it eventually dies and fades away. They only last for a few weeks, but this crown of glory, it lasts forever. It's unfading. Or you think of maybe trophies that you have from sports teams or, I don't know, Science Olympiad, and those trophies, for me at least, are either dusting and rusting away on a shelf or they're gone, and I don't really value them anymore. But that's not this unfading crown of glory. It is eternal. It never dies that's a beautiful thing. So this is what Peter gives for the shepherds and the responsibilities they have to feed and lead the flock of God. The second group that Peter refers to is the sheep. And we can see this in verse 5. It says, You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The responsibility of the sheep is to be subject to the shepherd. But not just that, but that the younger people put themselves under the older, the elder. Do we do this? Are there people in your life that are older and are godly examples to you, that maybe mentor you, maybe disciple you, that you look up to? It's important and it's needed. If we are sheep, well, what are sheep like? A sheep is the only animal in the world that can be totally lost when it's only a few miles from home. They have no instinct to get back to where they came from. Even when people lose their dogs and post signs about their missing dog, they are hopeful that their dog will be returned, or that the dog will return, but a sheep can't. It would suck if someone had a pet sheep and they lost it. It's gone. Sheep have no ability to find their way back. Within its close range, it has adequate s- skills. It knows its own pasture. It knows the place where it was born. and knows all that. And it will rest in the same shade. It will sleep in the same fold. It will stay in the same home range. But if that sheep is taken away or wanders away from its familiar territory, it becomes completely lost. It has no sense of direction whatsoever. No spatial orientation. It can't find its way back. It will event, inevitably walk around in circles around and around, continuing in confusion and un- unrest, even panic. Who does that remind us of? I know, at least it reminds me of myself. Matthew 9:36 says, "They are like sheep without a shepherd." So those two go together. You can't have sheep without a shepherd, and we need that. We need a shepherd as sheep. Jesus was saying this to the lost crowd, that sheep without a shepherd are hopeless and lost, as are we without our chief shepherd. There are over 1.2 billion sheep in the world, but they would soon starve to death without the tens of thousands of caring shepherds who protect and oversee them by keeping them in the pasture and leading them to the place where they can eat and drink. Sheep are the most defenseless animal. They don't, and they can't fight. They have no defense against predators. They can't scratch, kick, bite, and they are helpless. They literally define the term dead meat. They are most vulnerable to injury, and when injured, they are more prone to just give up. A sheep with a full fleece can fall on its back and not ever get up and just stay that way until it dies. That's kind of funny. I don't know. It's sad, but it's... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's what a sheep is. And without a shepherd, without the chief shepherd, we are lost sheep. Here in verse 5, he says, Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. To be clothed with humility is demonstrated by submissiveness. He says, Be subject to your elders. It's the ability to cheerfully put away our own agenda for the wards. That's pretty hard. I know it's hard for me. Trusting him with just thinking about a future job, where I might live, it's scary. A famous pastor said, Strive all to serve each other Let the pastors strive to serve the people and the people the pastors and let there be no contention but who shall do most to oblige and profit all the rest. All must be subject to each other. And so this perfect example of being clothed with humility was Christ. Christ who washed the disciples' feet. And I just, I love the passage of Philippians 2 where it talks about Christ's humility, his exaltation. Actually, I'm just going to go there real quick because it's so good. So verses 1 through 11 says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and compassion fulfill my joy, that you think the same way, by maintaining the same love, being united in Spirit, thinking on one purpose, doing nothing from selfish ambition or vainglory, but with humility of mind regarding one another as more important than yourselves. Not merely looking out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. And then it points it to Christ. It says in verse five, have this way of thinking in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although existing in the form of God did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, by being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name which is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. I just, I love that passage a lot, and it just shows us the perfect example of what it means to be clothed with humility. The phrase, be clothed, actually tr- is, translates from a rare word that referred to a slave putting on an apron before serving. And so that's the attitude we ought to have. God doesn't want us strutting around like a rooster or a peacock boasting about our own abilities. He wants us to be humble. So here are some marks of humility to consider and see if they are demonstrated in your life. The first mark is the willingness to perform the lowliest and littlest services for Christ's sake. Are you wanting to do the stuff that no one wants to do or the stuff that no one sees for attention? I know it's easy to, to want to do things sometimes and be like, oh, like, who's going to see me, you know? But are we willing to do that? Because it's, we, don't care, we shouldn't care about what others... It shouldn't, the, the goal of it is to please Christ. Second one is the consciousness the consciousness, sorry, of our own inability to do anything apart from God. And I think it's in John fifteen five it says he says, Apart from me you can do nothing. So he is our hope, he is our source of strength. The third one is the willingness to be ignored by what people think. So are we are we living for the fear of the Lord, or are we living for the fear of man? it'll be the true mark of humility, of not caring about what other people say, but you know Christ, what you say is first and foremost. And the last one for, as a mark of humility is being truly others-centered instead of self-centered. So are we so focused upon ourselves that we claim to be humble, but we're really, in our, in our heads, in our minds, we're, we're doing all these good acts, really, that people would say, oh yeah, they're following Christ, you know, but we're wanting to do it just to build ourselves up. Are we Wanting to serve others because, you know, Christ did. And it's because, as Paul said a few weeks ago, it's better to give than to receive. So are these in our life as sheep, to the best and fullest extent? This is the call that Peter gives. Why? Well, he says in the last part of verse 5, because God is opposed to the proud and gives grace to the humble. This is quoted from Proverbs 3, 34, to demonstrate that humility is essential to our walk with the Lord. If we want to live in God's grace, then we must lay aside our pride and be humble as the sheep that we are, not only to him, but also to each other as fellow sheep. See, this grace and this pride, they are eternal enemies. They are polar opposites. Pride demands that God blesses me in light of what I think I deserve, But grace deals with me on the basis of what is in God, not on the basis of anything in myself. Here it says God is opposed to the proud, or God resists the proud. And this is actually related to the word from which the military gets the word tactics. So the Lord, the commentary said, the Lord really puts on a military uniform and he fights against us in our pride. He resists us like a military man with a weapon against the enemy. I don't want the Lord to resist me. I don't know about you. (laughs) That's kind of scary. I want him on my side. And he is on our side when we as sheep are on his side. And some of us have learned that God resists the proud by our own experience. I certainly have. A few years ago, I auditioned to join... um, cruise worship team, and, you know, I was, I was looking forward to it. I was like, you know, I got a great opportunity, and, like, I really think that God could use this as a platform for me to, like, to just share his word, and I thought, like, that, like, it's like, you know, no way I would not get it, because, like, God wants me here. That's kind of, that was my kind of, my thought process behind it, but it was humbling, because God, I think, was ultimately saving me from my pride, from that platform and showing me, no, this isn't where I want you, actually. And I didn't see it at first, but I'm so grateful for where he has me now with all of you guys to be growing and pursuing Christ together. And it was really, honestly, humbling. So Charles Spurgeon said, If you are willing to be nothing, God will make something of you. The way to the top of the ladder is to begin at the lowest round. In fact, in the church of God, the way up is to go down. But he that is ambitious ambitious to be at the top will find himself before long at the bottom. And so the sheep must submit to the shepherd and humble themselves as the sheep that we are and look to Christ as the chief shepherd. And so just thinking about really my pride when I was shadowing the classroom at the middle school and just seeing these kids and thinking how disrespectful they were and seeing that in myself and seeing how in this passage we are to look for faithful shepherds. We are to have faithful shepherds over us. And if God calls a man to the ministry to be a shepherd, then he is to do so faithfully by overseeing willingly, eagerly loving, and setting an example to the flock. And then us as sheep, we are to be subject to this shepherd, and we are to do so with humility towards fellow sheep and towards the sheep sheep shepherd. And they are both needed to further God's kingdom, to be a light in the darkness, a city on a hill. And we... As sheep, as our shepherd, Paul, as our chief shepherd, Christ, us here in this church, we are nothing in light of who God is. But praise the word that despite not needing us, the Lord Jesus, the chief shepherd, desires us and wants us. He doesn't need us, but he wants us, and that is a beautiful thing. Um, yeah, let's pray. Um, Lord, thank you for this time that we could have just to look at your word to see who you are through Peter writing to this church um, to desire to have faithful shepherds over us to be faithful sheep that are pursuing you Lord Lord we are nothing without you we need you pray that anything that I said tonight would just that didn't glorify you would just be forgotten, Lord. Thank you for your word and just that we can have this space to be able to glorify you, to make your name known. I just thank you for this time and this fellowship that we have. In your name I pray, amen.